much do you have on your to-do list? My to-do list is pretty long. I realized the other day that it's been a long time since we've had our septic tank pump, so probably needed to do that. We have a shake roof, and after the windstorms we have every year, need to have that cleaned off. Two years ago, we broke a mirror in the bathroom, and I need to get around to having that fixed. It's February, April's coming, I need to get my taxes done. Valentine's Day is this next week. Megan doesn't have a whole lot of expectations, which is good, because we'll actually be here at the Ash Wednesday service, but I need to get her a card or something. Um, I need to call my parents. And I need to make sure that I keep up on my reading the Bible through in a year plan. And there's other stuff. So that's some of the major things on my to-do list. Most of those things are important, but they don't all need to be done today. Um, I talked with somebody the other day, and uh, they don't go to this church. They may or may not be one of my relatives. I will neither confirm nor deny that. And Megan and I were asking, so what do you have to do today? And they said, well... I have to unload the dishwasher. And Megan and I are like, wait, what? Does that count as being on your to-do list? Because I'm like, if you asked me, what do you have going on today? I probably wouldn't say, well, I need to take a shower. And I mean, we've all got stuff to do, but some stuff is really important and needs to be done. And other stuff isn't that important right at this very moment. Years ago, I read a book by Charles um, Hummel called Tyranny of the Urgent. And he did this really good job of raising up the idea that a lot of times what we do is not the thing that's most important, we do the thing that's the loudest. And so instead of getting all the most important things done, we are tyrannized by the urgent, which is not always that important. I mean, somebody has a bee in their bonnet and it has to be addressed right now. It may have been bothering them for a while, but they've got some free time right now. So now you have to address it. And not everything is that important. There are lots of things that can be done, but not everything should be done. Like I've learned that most urgent matters will resolve themselves within 24 hours. And sometimes the best thing you can do is just wait because not everything needs to be done right now. And the problem is that if we're not paying attention to the most important things, we'll begin to go down a different path that will lead us someplace else. We'll be busy, but we won't be doing what really matters. And then we'll lose sight of what really matters. And that's what Paul is going to address in our scripture passage today. From 1 Corinthians chapter 15 verses 3 through 8, NIRV again this week. What I received I passed on to you, and it is the most important of all. Here is what it is. Christ died for our sins, just as scripture said he would. He was buried. He was raised from the dead on the third day, just as scripture said he would be. He appeared to Peter, then he appeared to the 12 apostles. After that, he appeared to more than 500 brothers and sisters at the same time. Most of them are still living, but some have died. He appeared to James, then he appeared to all the apostles. Last of all, he also appeared to me. I was like someone who wasn't born at the right time. So Paul says, here's the most important thing. Christ died for our sins, he was buried, he was raised from the dead, a bunch of people saw him, so you can know that it's true. That's the most important thing. 
And that's what separates Christianity from like the Kiwanis Club or the VPO at your school or your Greek organization in college or your student service club. There are lots of good things that those organizations do and we have a lot of purposes in common with them. But Jesus Christ crucified for our sins, risen from the dead, that's the most important thing that the church does and that's what sets the church apart. Everything else is secondary. In fact, most other things can actually be a distraction. So why does Paul have to remind them and us about what the most important thing is? Well, it's because all kinds of stuff is going on in the church in Corinth, and the church has lost its focus. Instead of being united around the core of the gospel, there are all sorts of divisions that have come up in the church. And Paul gives different examples. So people are dividing into factions. They're like, well, I follow this leader, and I follow this leader, and I'm following this leader. And the followers of those individual leaders are looking at the followers of the other leaders and saying, how can you call yourself a Christian if you follow that person instead of this person? And so in the church in Corinth, agreeing with someone's opinion, the right person's opinion, became more important than actually following Jesus. Belonging to the right party became more important than following Jesus. And it was diluting the gospel. In fact, it was making the gospel something else. And so Paul writes and says, mm, you're supposed to be following Jesus, not some other person. Why is it that your political affiliation is more central to your character than your affiliation with Jesus, he asks the Corinthians. And then there's also divisions because they're separating into insiders and outsiders. Oh, make no mistake, every church is friendly, right? So all people are welcome, but some people are more welcome. And it wasn't the needy that was more welcome, it was their friends. And then there was a whole lot of other craziness that was going on. They loved the idea of grace so much that they decided that they could do whatever they wanted to do. Nothing was forbidden or wrong or bad because they was forgiven. So hallelujah, let's do what we want, let grace abound. One dude was even sleeping with his stepmother. And apparently the church was cool with it. They forgot that grace comes with repentance and that Jesus came to make us new, not just to baptize our basest desires. So the church in Corinth had forgotten what was most important, and that's why Paul had to remind them. It's Christ crucified, risen, coming again, saving us from our sins, giving us hope. That's what's most important. So then I was wondering, what would Paul say in his epistle to Harbor Covenant? Would he say, you all have kept the most important thing at the center of your community. You're faithfully living out your relationship to Jesus. You're preaching and you're living in response to Jesus' death and resurrection. Is that what he'd say? Or would he say, you've gotten distracted from the main thing? There are so many things that we could be about, but not everything is of equal importance. Lots of things are ultimately a matter of opinion or preference or history that we have. It's one of the reasons why I love that one of the foundational questions that the Covenant Church has always asked is, where is it written? 
It's to remind us that our thinking, our theology, our actions all need to be rooted in Scripture, not just in what currently floats our boat. So what do we want to be in light of the Scriptures, in light of the calling that Jesus has given us? What do we want to be our distinctive as a church? Uh, a couple of months ago, a uh, guy came and visited our church, and he came and talked to me afterwards and talked about uh, how much he liked our church and the things that he had done and wanted to get involved in here. And we invited to, him to come to a newcomer's gathering later, and he made it very clear that he would not be coming back to our church because he discovered that we encourage women in ministry. I, I understand the deeply held conviction. I don't share it, but I understand it. But I'm shaking my head thinking, is this the biggest fish that you have to fry? I mean, even if you sincerely, sincerely believe that women are not to speak in church or to hold positions of leadership and that they're supposed to submit unquestioningly to their husbands, is that what we want our distinctive as a church to be? I, I think personally, when I stand before Jesus, as I believe I will, and Jesus, as Lord of the church, says to me, as I believe he will, what did you accomplish with the church that I entrusted to you? Is the best I've got going to be, we kept women from teaching men? I mean, that ain't going to happen. I'm thinking it should be something more like, we loved God and we loved people well. We reached people for Christ. We developed disciples who made other disciples. And we lived lives of compassion, mercy, and justice. That I'd be proud to say to Jesus. Because so many of the other things are secondary. I'm sorry if you're getting tired of hearing this, but my men's group is amazing. We are all over the political spectrum. And we all know that our political beliefs are of secondary importance because we all really love and enjoy one another. Now, it's not to say it's always bliss. Sometimes voices get a little bit edgy and veins stand out on foreheads, but it always ends with apologies and hugs because we know that the most important thing isn't our political view. The most important thing is that we agree on the gospel. A couple of years ago, the last time I took a trip to Israel, and hoping one day to go again, uh, we were on a long bus ride, and our tour guide was uh, an Israeli who had been born in the United States, had emigrated to Israel. And we're driving along one day, and he says to us, why don't you guys take better care of your old people in the United States? And we're like, what? What are you talking about? And he's like, well, if you're a senior citizen and you live in Israel, we guarantee you medical care. We guarantee you a place to live so that you can spend your senior years living in dignity. Why don't you guys do that? And there was some banter back and forth, but a lot of it centered around, well, you guys pay a lot higher taxes than we do, and you're socialists after all. And he just sort of shrugged and said, well, I'd rather be an old person in Israel than in the United States. So if after your study of the economic theories presented in the Bible, you conclude that free market capitalism is God's way of doing things, that's great. I respect that. But economic theory is of secondary importance. And how many of these issues that I've raised, or more, like political parties or economic theory, 
how many of these have been raised to primary importance instead of being of secondary importance? I'm an evangelical. I've been an evangelical all my life. It used to mean that I've been born again. That scriptural language comes out of John 3. We don't really use it a lot anymore. Basically, to be an evangelical meant I'm a serious follower of Jesus. I believe that the Bible is God's word. I'm growing as a disciple. That's what the word used to mean. Evangelical has now functionally become a political designation, not a spiritual one. And it's really interesting that in all of the literature that I'm reading about people leaving the church, particularly our children and our grandchildren, it's not as much over the gospel as it is them looking at their parents conflating their politics with their religion. We want to preach Christ crucified. Let people stumble over the cross, not some of these other issues that are of secondary importance. And so I hope that Paul would write his epistle to Harbor Covenant and say, way to go, keeping the main thing the main thing. But then I wonder, what would Paul say in his epistle to Michael, or Kathy, or Bill, or Christine, or insert your name here? Would Paul say that your life is centered around the most important thing? Or would he say that I've lost my focus, or that you've lost your focus? And we can talk about a lot, but there's three areas that I want us to consider for a minute. The first is, what priority do you place on following Jesus? The second is money. Please don't stop listening now. And the third is relationships. Let's just hit those for a second. So what priority do you place on following Jesus? I don't have a great dramatic testimony. I was never a part of a motorcycle gang. I haven't been to prison. I have never been addicted to anything. I didn't hit rock bottom chasing other things. That's just not my experience. But I know that my life is radically different than it would be if I hadn't decided to follow Jesus wholeheartedly because I am fundamentally self-centered. Now, I'm a good guy, don't get me wrong, but I have things that I struggle with, I get things wrong, and I know that I would not have a deep sense of peace and hope like I do if I were following someone or something else. So the first priority of my life is to follow Jesus. Because through his death and his resurrection, his grace and his mercy, the most important things, I have found new life. Now the temptation is to just give Jesus a slice of the pie after our career, after our lifestyle choices that we've made. When things are going well, that's when we carve out a piece for Jesus. But that's so different than giving him the whole pie and it will produce different results. It's why so many times if we're just dabbling with Jesus, we wonder why we don't experience peace, we don't experience hope, why we're filled with anxiety instead. It's because as Jesus said, you can't serve two masters. What master are you serving? And what is following that master producing in your life? At my best, everything I do is ordered around following Jesus. How about you? So let's look at money. My question is, how much is enough? There's tremendous pressure living in Gig Harbor. It's an expensive place to live. 
It's a beautiful area. We want to enjoy the area we live in and all the great things there are to do here. We want to do things for our kids and provide experiences and make memories. Many of us have to take care of our parents and that takes time and money. There are a lot of people around us who have a lot of nice things and a lot of toys and that's great. But is all the stuff and the Gig Harbor lifestyle, is that the most important thing? We've learned as a congregation that a pair of shoes can change a kid's life. We've learned that a chance to go to Bible camp in Unilaclete can provide a safe place for a kid to learn that they're loved. We've learned that $100 can pull a family out of poverty and give them means for a livelihood in India. We've learned that it doesn't always take $10,000 to change the situation. Sometimes it only takes 10 bucks. We've learned that as a church body, we have the ability to help keep people in their homes by helping with rent or utility payments. These are all things we do as a church body that sounds like what Jesus meant when he said, love your neighbor as yourself. If your priority is collecting stuff, you'll never know the joy of changing somebody's life by buying a pair of shoes or helping them get to camp or meeting them, meeting their needs. Now, many of us have financial challenges. Just because you live in Gig Harbor doesn't mean that you are wealthy. Sometimes the financial challenges that people that we know and love have are obvious, but most of the time it's not. For some people, their resources are very scarce. This is all true and I completely get it. No guilt, no judgment. But many others of us have enough to meet all of our needs and most of our wants. Regularly on a Sunday morning, we tell you what we do with the money that you entrust to us and the ways that people's lives are changed. But here's the deal. We only have the money that you entrust to us. Gig Harbor encourages us to live with a mentality of scarcity. The kingdom encourages generosity. Gig Harbor encourages us to look up the ladder at people who have what we don't. The kingdom invites us to look around at the blessings from God that we have. Gig Harbor encourages a cycle of wanting more that will never be satisfied. The kingdom reminds us that only one thing will satisfy our souls, and it's not money or stuff, it's Jesus. Gig Harbor tells us we need to take care of ourselves and make sure that we have everything that we want and need. God invites us to trust him to care for our needs and invites us into a community where people look out for one another. And that's countercultural. So I invite you to live into the kingdom with us. It's a matter of discipleship and it will pay enormous dividends. Years ago, there was a guy who left our church because we were raising money for something and it really made him mad. He didn't tell me this, but he told one of his friends, it's my money, I earned it, and I don't want anybody telling me what to do with it. He also taught a Bible study here for a long time, and I saw a huge disconnect in that attitude. And I can tell you what the most important thing in his life was. I'm not judging, I'm just observing. Now don't understand, don't misunderstand me. Enjoy the boat, have fun at your vacation home, take the cruise, go on the big vacation and bring me back a t-shirt. 
remodel the house, do whatever you're going to do. I'm not against any of those things. I do lots of those things. But the question for you is, what priority does money and stuff have in your life? And is that priority in the right place? And if it isn't, you've lost your focus as a Jesus follower. And then lastly, relationships. When I meet with people to do some mentoring, I always ask about their key relationships because that's where following Jesus tends to play out. So what is more important than your key relationships? Did you hear the emphasis on the what? Not what is more important than your key relationships. What is it that is more important than your key relationships? A friend of mine a couple of years ago was invited to become the president of Maker's Mark, the bourbon company. And I had a little self-centered moment there because I'm thinking about perks that could be coming my way. And he turned it down. I'm like, why would you turn down being president of Maker's Mark? And he said, if I was president of Maker's Mark, within a year, I would lose my wife, I would lose my family, and I would become an alcoholic, and that is way too big of a price to pay. And I really respected that. Because I talk to too many people, way too many people, who say, I spent way too much time at the office, or my career was way more important to me. And so in that moment, even though I didn't get anything free, I was really impressed that he knew that the price that he would pay for having this high-profile job would cost him the things that were most important. People who are too busy talk about how they spend quality time with their children. I think they do that because it makes them feel better. The truth of the matter is, it's quantity time. My dad, my mom, they were always there for my games. Megan has a kid that she deals with. She's five years old, and her parents regularly come late to pick her up from the after-school programs. I don't mean like five minutes late. I mean like 15 minutes late or 30 minutes late, and they're always really apologetic. But the story that's going to get told is, my parents were never there for me. When we stand at a graveside, when we're signing the divorce papers, when, we're, when you're carrying your little shoebox of your desk stuff out the door after you've been laid off, when your kids leave home, when your girlfriend breaks up with you because your buddies are more important than she is, those are all the times when we have clarity and we think, did I do the right thing? Did I do the most important thing? Should I have done things differently? And the scripture ends with a reminder that it's never too late. Listen to verses 9 through 11. Paul writes, I'm the least important of the apostles. I'm not even fit to be called an apostle. I tried to destroy God's church, but because of God's grace, I am what I am, and his grace was not wasted on me. No, I worked harder than all the other apostles, but I didn't do the work. God's grace was with me. So this is what we preach, whether I or the other apostles who preached to you, and that is what you believed. It's never too late. Paul came later. Paul came with a past. Paul came with persecution of the church. Paul came with making really, really poor choices. And God still reached out to him and used him when Paul had a serious encounter with Jesus Christ. And that's the difference. It's about keeping the main thing the main thing and having a serious relationship with Jesus. And that will change everything. And it's never too late 
to reorder your life. You can't get back when your kids were little, but you can get back today with them. You can't fix the marriage that was broken, but you can start new. It's never too late. So as I looked at this, I thought, what's important in my life? How would I rank things? Number one, it would be being a follower of Jesus. Number two is I want to be a good husband and I want to be a good father. I want that to be my priority. Number three would be significant relationships, my friends. It's so sad to me when people, particularly guys, say, I really don't have any close friends. And it's sad because most often that's a choice. And sometimes we confuse friendly people with friends. I also like the language of the difference between real friends and deal friends. Deal friends are what most of us have. They're the people that we work with or that we share something in common with, like a project. Your real friends are thing, people you don't get anything from. Your real friends will inconvenience themselves for you. The friendly people in your life, your deal friends, when you invite them to something, they're the ones who will wait to see how things go that day or if they get a, a better offer. I want to invest in significant relationships. And I want to make a significant contribution. I want to give myself to something bigger than just making sure that all of my wants are met and that I'm happy. And the thing that I've discovered that gives me the most significance, that changes my life the most, is fully investing in following Jesus. So let me ask you three questions. What are you investing your time and resources in? Number two, where does seriously following Jesus fit into your top five goals? And number three, what is one step you can take to make following Jesus a greater priority? Hi, thanks for watching. The people of Harbor Covenant Church really want you to know the love that God has for you, want to grow with you in faith, and want to serve alongside you, not only to help others do the same, but also to make our families and our communities better. If that sounds like something that you can get on board with, then like, follow, and drop us a comment in the video. Watch some more videos on our channel or come visit us on Sunday. You can find out more about Harbor Covenant Church at harborcove.church.